So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Mark chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This gospel passage tells us um, at least two things about human marriage, but it also tells us two things about our heavenly bridegroom. Any picture of marriage is always interpreted through the lens of Ephesians chapter 5, which says that marriage is a mystery that refers us, it's a signpost that points to Christ and his church. So there's also two things in this passage that teach us about the love that Jesus um, there's more than that, not just the love, about Jesus' relationship uh, towards us as the heavenly bridegroom. When the Bible teaches about human marriage, it also teaches us about Christ, the bridegroom. So I want to touch um, briefly on the human side first, and then the divine thing that it points to. So the very straightforward meaning of the text is um, ready to grasp, that when a man and a woman freely and honestly, those are sort of conditions of a meeting of the minds for the covenant of marriage, freely and honestly say, I do, they're exercising a unique capacity that God has given us to be able to covenant our life to another. And what Jesus is saying here is that when that happens, when a man and a woman do that, God himself is the one who effects the fusion, right? the joining together. And we wouldn't have known that unless Jesus had revealed it. Right? We don't see God doing something in like time and space when you know, a man and a woman say, I do to each other. But that is what Jesus is saying, is that God is the one who joins them together. He's offering us the true interpretation of Genesis chapter 2, right? as he quotes, as we heard in the Gospel. And because, um, and the emphasis here is that because God is the one who does it, man doesn't have the power to undo it, because what is man before God? Now, I came up with like a, an analogy, which I realize in the presence of a, a lawyer is probably actually not, doesn't hold up. <laughs> but I'm going to try it out anyways, because um, I know nothing about contract law. Um, but I was trying to think, I, I couldn't think of it, this is another bad analogy, but I was trying to think of like, what's, a, what's this example of like how you can't undo something under, if you're the lesser authority. And I thought that, let's say you were to buy a house, and upon moving in, you realize it wasn't worth what you thought it was. And this is not a real-life example. <laughs> um, I can't just decide on my own, well, I actually think it's valued this. I'm just going to pay what I think it's worth. Right? Because of the higher authority of sort of contract laws that's been established, um, I can't just single-handedly change that agreement. Right? There's actually a higher authority which I am unable to alter. Um, just so is what Jesus is saying with marriage and divorce, that although it's possible to get a piece of paper from the state um, testifying to a human ruling of divorce, what is man in the face of God? Man can't separate what God has joined together. Marriage is in reality, as Jesus is revealing it to be, indissoluble. It's a bond that you can't break. The second thing that we learn about human marriage is that it's not only that two come together, it's that the two actually become a new unity. Two become one. The two become one flesh. And this is not merely a reference uh, to the marital act in the bedroom. 
but it's an articulation of the twofold purpose of that act. The first, as it says in our liturgy for marriage, it says God made marriage for three reasons, and the first one is for kids, right? There's actually a sort of... Um, the, the bringing forth of a kid is, of a child, is the most concrete instance of two fleshes becoming one flesh, right? Two DNAs getting woven together and creating this new human being, the two becoming one. Children are the other side of the equal sign of two becoming one. That's the first meaning of uh, one flesh. But then the second is that there'd be a unity of personhood. The two working from a common command center. Both husband and wife having a hand on the wheel that steers the common life. A unity of working together and caring for each other. A unity from love and for love. They are no longer two, but one flesh. And I'm... It's, um, it's important that, there is, that this verse doesn't end, they are no longer two but one, but it, it's important that it says they are no longer two but one flesh, because it doesn't mean, of course, that in marriage, then the two wills just get dissolved into one kind of enmeshed, bad boundaries sort of thing. There's still space for distinction and difference, even in the unity of marriage. There's a distinction in the midst of the union. So all of this is true about human marriage. But as I said at the beginning, these, everything I've just said are signposts that point us to the heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. So re-listen to these marriage truths I just unpacked through this lens. Marriage is indissoluble. They are no longer two but one flesh. When God the Son, who existed for eternity before the world was created, when he left his Father, as it were, right, and took on human flesh in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He didn't take on human nature as the way way one would take on clothing that could then be taken off again. He took it on in an eternal joining, a two becoming one, a permanent union. Jesus the Lord in heaven will forever not be two, but one flesh with us as a full human being. His divine person from heaven and his human nature from earth hypostatically united for all eternity. The omnipotent and immortal God, the Son, and the meek mortal carpenter from Nazareth, they're not two different people, right? It's one and the same person existing forever. And yet the two natures of Christ are not blurred together. There's a distinction in the unity, just as in marriage. There are not bad boundaries. They remain forever, fully and wholly, distinct but united. Heaven and earth, clearly linked in one man, one God-man, Jesus Christ. And that union of his divinity and our humanity is indissoluble. It can never be broken. It's been affected by the will of God the Father. It says in Hebrews, he swore it with an oath. And so there's no authority bigger than God the Father that could undo that. And that union has borne fruit in the billions of sinners who have turned to Jesus and found life in him. And when anyone has been baptized into his body, we join that union by his grace. We are baptized into his body, right? And so 
I think a, a, pic, a biblical uh, imagery that holds this together is having come to Christ as individuals, all of us who have faith in him and have been baptized into him, we've been betrothed to him. And betrothed is that biblical word we hear every Christmas. It's much more than engagement, but it's not quite marriage. Like you had to break a betrothal with a formal and legal agreement. Betrothal um, is fully committed and the end is marriage when the ceremony happens. So in baptism, as we're going to see in a couple of weeks, um, when the Martin boys get baptized, right here in this tub, and we still aren't sure if we're going to do cold or hot water yet. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, the liturgy says, you are marked as Christ's own forever. Those beautiful pieces of liturgical, of, of claiming Christ's promise. You are marked as Christ's own forever. So you're marked as Christ's. But in heaven, you will be fully wholly, entirely Christ's. It doesn't mean that all who are baptized get to heaven. Hitler was baptized. It actually means that for those who are marked as Christ's but who willfully and permanently re- reject him for their life long, for them the misery of hell will be even more agonizing than for those who never heard about Jesus. They will continue to carry the mark of Christ even where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth as a mark of a double condemnation. So just because we're baptized doesn't guarantee in itself, by itself, that we will get to heaven, but it does mean that we can be confident because of our baptisms that Christ will save us when we call out to him, that we are betrothed to him that he loves us so much. We belong to him and he to us. Our union by grace right now is strong, as strong as his own hands. Right? Jesus says no one can pluck any of us out of the Father's hand. But that union will be indissoluble in heaven. In heaven, there's no falling away in heaven. Right? There's no turning our back on God in heaven. We are fully and permanently, indissolubly his. And when we die, and by the mercy of Jesus' blood, are judged worthy to enter into heaven, that's when the union gets made indissoluble. And what's the picture that the Bible gives for that? The marriage supper of the Lamb, which you celebrate after you've actually been fully married. Not just betrothed. And we will feast forever in what is like a marital bliss in heaven with Jesus, our Savior, and the great bridegroom. Amen.